Welcome again to our study of 1 Thessalonians here on the Radio Bible Course. Today we begin with verse 10, where Paul writes and reminds the Thessalonians how they had welcomed the gospel, how they had turned to God from idols to serve a living and a true God, and, in verse 10, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the only passage in the New Testament that uses the expression to wait for Jesus Christ. It suggests waiting for an expected person, but it also implies patience and trust in the promise that that one would come. Now, in regard to the return of Christ, we need to be aware that there are people who teach that Jesus Christ comes every day. He comes as you build the kingdom, or he comes as you make your heart right. That's not at all what the Bible is talking about. Don't expect Jesus to come when you build your church, or you build your Sunday school, or you build some kind of a program that is doing some good. Jesus Christ will come for his church when the full number of Gentiles have been brought into the church by faith in Jesus Christ. He is coming bodily. There will be an appearance. We'll see him. And at that moment, the trumpet will sound. The dead Christians will be raised. And we who are alive on the earth at that time, who are Christians, will together with the dead and resurrected Christians be caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then what? And so, Paul writes, shall we ever be with the Lord. There is too much preaching today that Jesus comes when you open your heart to him or when you have some kind of an experience. Jesus doesn't come to you when you read your Bible or pray. When the Bible talks about the coming of Jesus, it means his return from heaven in bodily form. That is the hope of the New Testament Christian. It was the hope of the first century Christians. Paul referred to it as the blessed hope. If you count all the verses in the New Testament and then count the verses that refer to the return of Jesus Christ, you will have a ratio of 13 to 1. That's how frequently the return of Christ is referred to in the New Testament epistles. Now, Paul writes that this Jesus, for whom they were waiting, delivers us from the wrath to come. What is the wrath? Well, that's the awful judgment of God that he's going to rain down upon this earth. It was prophesied in the Old Testament, and the book of Revelation discusses it, as well as some of the epistles. There is going to be a judgment. But Jesus Christ will deliver us from that judgment. Whatever happens to this world, Christians will escape. That's a promise. And this verse here, verse 10, is one of those promises. We wait for his Son from where? From heaven whom he raised from the dead. Yes, there was a resurrection, and God was behind it. It's a fact of the Christian's faith. We wait for Jesus, 
who delivers us from the wrath to come. So it's going to be a great day. I, as a Christian, do not look for the coming of Jesus to judge me. I look for him to rescue me. He came the first time to die for me, to pay for my sins, and he rescued me spiritually. But when he comes again, he's going to rescue me physically. And my body, though it be dead, I am dead when that happens, will be changed suddenly in the twinkling of an eye, and mortality will take on immortality, and that which is corruptible will become incorruptible. What a day of victory that will be. We look forward to that, and for that reason, we need not grieve forever over the loss of our loved ones. Those who have believed will be raised, and we're going to escape the judgment of God that will fall on this earth. In Romans chapter 4, verse 8, it tells us that God will not charge sin to the believer. Christ isn't coming to deal with sin. He's coming to take us to where he is. Now, the reason given for the deliverance in verse 10 is the death of Christ for us. If deliverance from that wrath did not come, then Christ's death on behalf of the sinner would be in vain and God's plan would have failed. We all love the Gospel of John because it tells us about the love of God, but it's that Gospel that also tells us about the wrath of God. Listen to chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God rests upon him. And properly so. It's only justice that the wrath of God fall on men who have rejected the one God has sent to deliver them. Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 1, verse 18, and said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of man, who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he urged them to be imitators of God and beloved children, and that they ought to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. But... He warned against this, but fornication and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is fitting among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor silly talk, nor levity, which are not fitting, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no fornicator or impure man or one who is covetous that is, an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Who are they, the sons of disobedience? Those who have refused to obey the gospel. And what do we mean by obey? We mean believe. When one believes the gospel, he is obeying it. The wrath of God is for those who have not obeyed the gospel. 
Be sure of this, the wrath of God is coming. We read about it in the book of Revelation in chapter 14. John writes that if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also shall drink the wine of God's wrath poured unmixed into the cup of his anger, and he shall be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up for ever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Near the end of the book of Revelation, where we have a description of the return of Jesus Christ, this time to the earth, he comes in judgment on the earth. John writes, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. He who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name inscribed which no one knows but himself. He is clad in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God." And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, followed him on white horses. From his mouth issues a sharp sword with which to smite the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. There is a judgment coming upon this earth. The world is God's world. He created it all for his own purposes. And this concept of the wrath of God is supposed to be corrective. It's supposed to remind men that they must face their God someday. It's a striking reminder that God's holy nature is totally opposed to evil in every form. And especially are we reminded that if we have neglected his Son the one remedy for sin, then we must answer to God and will be without excuse. Now, I use the word rescue, and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, we read, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Some translations say delivers us, but that word is better translated rescue because that's what he did. We who were lost in sin without hope, far from God, we weren't even among the chosen people of Israel, we had nothing going for us, but Christ came and did a rescue act because he paid the debt that the law of God required. He paid for sin. That was the rescue and he then becomes the remedy for the sin problem. One remedy for all sin for all time. Never again need God provide anyone or anything as a remedy for sin. It's all taken care of. That's redemption. Now concerning the death of Christ, in the second epistle to the Thessalonians, we have no reference to the death of Christ. But we have it twice here in this first epistle. Here in verse 10, Jesus 
who is raised from the dead and who rescues us from the wrath to come, but also in chapter 5, verse 9. Listen to it. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we wake or sleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. But we ought to be building up other Christians because God has saved them. They're delivered from the wrath to come, and they are going to be with us forever. Now, there's something sad in this ninth verse of First Thessalonians chapter 5, for God has not destined us for wrath, but he has destined all those who have not believed to wrath. Our message is not fear and wrath. Our message is that men can obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. But the alternative to believing is the wrath of God. John pointed this out in chapter 3, verse 18. He wrote, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who believes not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Tomorrow we begin chapter 2. I'll be here, and I hope you'll join me. We invite our listeners to write for a free booklet that explains the grace of God. Ask for the free grace booklet. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.com.